take 43. Mark? Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Take 43 podcast. My name is Drew Williams. And I am. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? Wait, what? Say, so first off, there's something going on with your mouth. There is something what going on. What happened to the mouth. first 42 takes? Also, what's your name? My name is Aaron Colborn. Thank you for joining us on the Take 43 podcast. Okay. The first 42 takes, I was counting my teeth. What? Let me backtrack a little bit. I was counting my new teeth. You know how sometimes you have genetic traits that are passed down from your parents you know sure. like some people are good at working on cars others understand math i, I have high blood pressure you have high I'm blood pressure yeah, that's great apparently my dad passed down grinding my teeth oh fancy yeah so i've like a lot of my life i've spent grinding my teeth and i actually didn't know for a long time mm -hmm. so once i found out that's what was going on it was too uh, late. the damage was really done and so i just got seven new teeth wow in the front because i had actually ground down two millimeters off of my front teeth, my two front teeth. And they were thin that you could kind of see through them. And so it was getting to a point where I was worried that they could, one of them could snap at any sure. time. And also it's just, it's just kind of unhealthy. They got short and jaggedy. And so yeah. like I'd bite my lip occasionally and it really cut into it. Yeah. So, so I'm super stoked. I have new teeth Yeah. and I'm very happy about it. That's awesome, man. So my co-host looks like Jim Carrey from the mask. Smoking. <laughs> Smoking. <laughs> no, they look good, dude. Nice Thanks work. man. Appreciate it. Awesome. I, mean, I didn't do it. Oh, you I just, I just sat there with my mouth open and let them drill away. That's cool. Besides <laughs> the new teeth, what have you been up to? Oh, man, I've been so busy. This has been Same. the busiest I've been probably in six months. And it's a combination of things. It's work from work, you know, my actual day job editing stuff, as well as, you know, just life stuff. We're, right. Me and my wife are working on buying a new house. We're hoping Congrats. to. Oh, thanks, man. We're hoping it all goes through. But, you know, there's a lot of work when you're going through that process. So that takes up a lot of time. Yeah. And then, honestly, you know, doing this podcast takes some time. Yeah. Um, and sure you're editing stuff, too, on top of all of editing that. stuff on top of all that. And also just trying to, you know, generally have a, a life, you know, playing video games with friends and stuff yeah. like that. So, but yeah, it's been busy. You know, busy's good because, uh, you know, things aren't wonderful. So it's nice to keep busy. Yeah, absolutely. Keep you know your saying? mind occupied a little That's bit. That's right. That's right. What about you? Oh, dude, same. It's been wild. I have yeah. a couple client projects I'm working on now. I shot yesterday, shooting today, also editing in between. Mm -hmm. um, of course, going to edit this podcast after, but uh, we actually had the Grounded premiere last night. Gro oh, right. Yeah. Gro yeah. Grounded is the new short film from Rhino. I was the DP on it. Right. Brandon, Brandon Peterson, director. Directed, wrote it. Yeah. Right. Produced by Rhino, uh, Kyle at Rhino. And um, just really, really fun shoot. Uh, it turned out well. We did a live premiere, so we were streaming from the studio. Very cool. And at the same time, we were supposed to actually be at a, not a premiere, but a showing of Paper Cutter oh, at a yeah. drive-in. And we were so busy with work and other premieres and things, we actually couldn't go. Couldn't make it, which is such a bummer. That's yeah. the first screening of Paper Cutter that I haven't been able to go to. Yeah. And this one was cool. So they're a, a local company here called Redmond Movies and Stories. Yeah, used to who, work there. We talked about them. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about it. So yeah. they set up a like a drive-in in their back lot uh, in conjunction with Salt Lake Film Society. So they've been showing some older movies. They showed like The Big Lebowski. And I think I'm going to go see Get Out. Yeah. Uh, in a couple weeks there. Can I go? Um, maybe. Okay. Uh, it's me and my wife. <laughs> oh, but if you want to join I'm us, you're welcome to. <laughs> I'm fine with not doing that. <laughs> but they wanted to do a block of local short films uh, just for local film people. And so that's what it was. And so I'm, I'm really bummed I couldn't go. Uh, it would have been a cool way to see it. But, you know. Yeah, I was kind of concerned about using my phone on the live stream for Grounded and then being fully involved. And then we would have right. like pulled in at the same time. And right. I would have felt like I was being rude to the ticket guy. And there was no, well, there was no networking <laughs> that could have been done because we all had to stay in our cars. And that was another big issue. So I 
just wanted to devote 100% to, to Rhino and Grounded. Totally. And the premiere went well. If you want to, I'm going to link that in the description on Rhino's YouTube page. Yeah, it came uh, out really well. We shot it with the, the Komodo. Yeah, shot it with the red Komodo like yeah. we talked about in the last episode and really stoked. Also, last week, speaking of premieres, I actually had a music video premiere at um, a bar called Twist in downtown Salt Lake City. That's right, Robot Dream. Robot Dream, new music video yesterday. I shot, directed, edited, produced. Uh, it looks great. Thank you. I'm really, really excited about it. And the reason I say all that is because it was during COVID, like the, the hype of, right. of the pandemic, and it was really hard to, to find a crew. Right. You were even supposed to be there. Yeah. And I think you got busy or you just didn't feel safe. I feel like there was a lot of things being asked at the time. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, I think that was that was definitely back when I was still like not sure what right. I what I wanted well, and none didn't of us want were, to do. None of us were sure and, and still not really are. You still have to make money. So it's right. it's just one of those things where I was really, really proud of how it came out during such a weird time. Yeah. It was very different for everyone on set. And uh, Sienna did awesome. Robot Dream's great, and, uh, and the, the the song's really cool too. I really like it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a solid video, a solid song. Thank uh, you. Sto stoked for everybody else to see and hear it. There was about fifty to sixty people that showed up on the deck. It was outside, and yeah, we were, we were blasting amazing. it on this huge brick wall. Mm -hmm. It was really cool, and it got a lot of good feedback. We showed the other music video from the year before. Uh, I met some people. Oh, cool. They were really, really excited about it. I was, I was just really pleased. It was nice to be out. For real. I also was kind of on high alert. I, I have my first child on the way soon. And, oh yeah. Um, I just. I don't want to be caught up in any pandemic stuff. So. Right, right. D don't want to contract diseases and stuff. Exactly. Makes sense. Makes pretty, sense. I get it. Pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I bounced right after that. And I right. packed up the projector. But uh, thank you, whoever came out. I will link yesterday in the description as well. Very cool. You feel like you got a good a good reception for it, though? I was a little scared to ask people to come. Right. So I asked you to come, and I figured you'd say no, and I was totally okay with that. I, right. I, I didn't want my wife to come, even though I wanted her to be there. Right. Because she's pregnant, and... I, there was just so many variables um, and that I was unsure of. So right. when I showed up to the premiere with a projector and my laptop, I felt, uh, I'm like, is... You're like putting on a premiere for yourself. Yeah, I, you, you I, had no idea I, who was going to show up. Yeah, I felt like I was 15 again, like setting right. up the projector at like my ski resort, like for like, right. a snowboard movie, you know? But when the people showed up and it got a little bit later... It was packed. It was crazy. It's so awesome. uh, I actually kind of enjoyed getting people's reactions that I didn't know. That's my favorite part. And that's also part of the reason why I'm not super sad about missing that paper cutter screening. Yeah. Because everybody's in their cars. You and I've, reactions. I've seen the movie. Yeah. So I don't need to really watch the movie. But I like to watch other people watching yeah. it. And I couldn't have really done that. Well, thanks to Salt Lake City Film Society for putting it on. Seriously, very, very cool. Uh, I think it's awesome. And I, I hope that I hear from somebody that did go to it at some yeah. point. So I can just kind of know how it went. Yeah. You know? Uh, awesome. Oh, by the way, we got some mail from one of our listeners. I know, right? How cool is that? It was pretty cool. You mean to read it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and read it. Okay, um, this is from Fod, F-A-U-D, and I, I do apologize if I mispronounce that, but hey guys, love your podcast. Have gone back to listen to season one in order. Just a quick note, it would be great if you could include contact bio and info for each interviewee in the show notes. Thanks for making this awesome content. That's a good point. That was a great point. Yeah, um, yeah we, should so be, like, we should be better about that. Yeah, and I have gone back and actually done that. Oh, right, right yeah, on. Very yeah, cool. so it's there now. He loves the guests that we have on. He didn't have a way to see their work. I think we linked Graham's before, but for some reason we didn't link Dylan's, and he was super interested in Dylan's. Okay. So I responded. I told him, you know, I, I fixed that. I really appreciated his feedback. Any feedback that you guys want to give us, we're always yeah. Uh, we love to hear accepted. from you guys. We're we're doing this, but we really want this to be more of a conversation with yeah. all of us. So yeah, so, send us a line. Yeah, totally. So he actually put in. He goes, I think my favorite episode was season one of episode one. My favorite content in general from you guys is where you talked about your backgrounds and your journeys in the work of production and post production. Personally, I've always had a fascination with making movies. I think what I love about your podcast is it's easy to listen to. You guys keep it real, and your banter is also very real. All right, on. Thank you. I would really like to know 
know what happened to the other 42 takes, though. <laughs> oh, a multitude of things, yeah. Uh, seriously, I think if you can keep up the interviews, they are quite interesting. I most recently listened to the one with Dylan Osborne, whose spill about not doing sponsored content, but rather charging market rate for commercial work really struck home with me. That's also the episode that prompted me to reach out to you about the show notes. So overall, keep doing what you were doing well, storytelling. When not your own story, stories from other folks and how they made it or transitioned into the industry. That was really nice of him. Very cool. I, we love hearing from you guys. And it's really, it's, it's very nice that he said some nice things about the show. But more importantly, I, I love that Fod told us what he wants to hear from us because we want to make content you guys are interested in listening to. We don't want to just sit there and just talk about what we think is neat when you guys are all just like, well, whatever, this is dumb. You yeah, know? exactly. So, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Absolutely. So speaking of filmmaking, this whole thing, it started at a young age for both of us. I know when we're younger, we start watching TV and movies. Mm -hmm. This episode, Under the Influence, we are going to discuss movies that we saw at a young age that kind of helped create our visual style now. We reference back while we're on set. We reference in the post room. We reference in pre-production. Whether it's a director, an actor, or just the movie in general, right. we have a lot of coverage here. I'm really excited to chat about it. Benjamin Franklin said, originality is the art of concealing your sources. And I find that to be very, very true. I mean, you look at somebody like Quentin Tarantino, he's kind of like the highest level of that. His whole shtick is kind of remixing uh, other people's movies and music into his own original thing. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff made over, you know, the hundreds of years of of filmmaking and, and photos and stuff like that. We live in a remix world now. Right. And it's a I remix think culture. For it's sure. a remix culture. Absolutely. And so I think it's, it's a very valid thing to want to talk about where do these ideas come from now? I totally agree with you. And that's awesome. So I'm going to ask you the first question at okay. a young age. I, I see your list here, but I want you to maybe pivot the list if, unless it's in this order of when you were the youngest and okay, I can do that. So this first one is Terminator two. Uh, came out in 1991, I believe. I was like 13 years old. I was three. You were, yeah, you were three. That's great. So was my wife. <laughs> Two and a half. Uh, my man. <laughs> my man. Something that Terminator 2 does that's really, really interesting is the way its first act is structured. And it's funny because it's actually a storytelling technique that I had noticed previously in uh, somebody's novels. I used to read Dean Koontz novels when I was in like junior high. Who, you know, if you don't know who Dean Koontz is, he's basically a bargain basement Stephen King. <laughs> But I really like this stuff. Without all the cocaine and with alcohol. All, without all the cocaine. Actually, I think I think Dean Coons did a lot of cocaine also. <laughs> okay, well, his, his earlier books are pretty <laughs> cocaine-fueled. It was the 70s and 80s. Some so. of the best stuff from, oh, man. from uh, Stephen King is when I, he was just ripped out of his mind. Oh, man. I want my horror writers just yeah. bouncing out of their head on right. drugs. Think, I mean, that's the a, book Carrie still holds up. The actual bonkers. book of Carrie, he was blasted when he oh, wrote that. Oh, Christine also. I read Christine way back in the day. Yeah. Dude was just, yeah, just wasted on coke all the if time. If you look at his face currently, you can tell. <laughs> it's so true. Anyway, so the technique that I find so interesting that Dean Koontz did and then James Cameron ended up doing is cross-cutting at the beginning. So in, in Terminator 2, you, you know, you start out with you have kind of like these three people you're checking in on. You have Arnold Schwarzenegger showing up as the T-800, who before this point, you only know him as a bad guy from the first Terminator. And then you have Robert Patrick showing up as the T-1000, dressed as a cop, giving you the impression like, maybe this guy's a good guy. Have and you then, seen this boy? Yeah, have you seen this boy? <laughs> I think he's at the Galleria. <laughs> <laughs> and then then you have, and you're always checking in on John Connor, Edward Furlong. So you're jumping back and forth between these three people, knowing that at some point they're going to converge. And so what I like about the technique is you know something is going to happen. You know these people are going to run into each other. And the longer it goes on, the more you're like, how is it going to play out? And what James Cameron did that was so cool, making the T-800 Arnold Schwarzenegger 
be the good guy in Terminator 2, completely like subverting your expectations for how the how the battle's going to go when they all finally meet up in the in the right. mall. And it's really, really well done and really cool. And it's just something that pretty much in everything that I've written since then, except minus the actual short films we've made. Yeah. <laughs> because I think because they are short films, it's a little harder to play out something like that. You just don't have time. Yeah, you just don't have time. But all like all the screenplays I've written tend to do that. Fishtown Lights, the one I'm rewriting right now, goes back and forth between these two guys for a solid 30 pages before they even meet each other. And it's it's I think it's a really fun technique and it's something that in terms of storytelling, I just always want to do. For sure. Yeah. yeah so it's it's a little bit of story arc there, but also character development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how the characters changed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's setting up a, a bit of tension also. Yeah. So and that I, does something for the story. Mystery, tension, yeah. character. It, 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 it really facilitates moving all those things forward, which is, which is super fun for me. I like, and so yeah, Dean Koontz did that a lot too. He would usually go back and forth between, it seems like it's usually like a woman uh, with maybe like a kid or a dog or something like that. Yeah. And something weird's going on. And then flashing to like a psycho some right. psycho dude doing some weird psycho things. And you're like, I know eventually these two are going to meet up. I don't know how it's going to go then. Right. So for me, listening to that, it was a lot to do with story arc and character development. But for me, when I started watching television, maybe before movies, I mean, this is when I was like four or five, mm-hmm. right? So, and you don't even realize that you're doing this when you're four or five. Right. But as a filmmaker now, I realized that I was doing it. But this is character development in Nicktoons. Nicktoons. Like, like Nicktoons, Nickelodeon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before I'd go to preschool, before I'd go to kindergarten, I'd go half day, I'd watch Gullah Gullah Island. That was Nick Jr. Oh. I'd watch Rugrats. And then, you know, you get a little older, you'd watch Hey Arnold. Oh, yeah. Why am I mentioning these silly, you know, fictional characters? Right. They were people you cared about. They're, as a young kid, I loved Tommy Pickles. I knew Chucky was scared. Angelica, kind of a bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like I do, she was. Yeah, she was very mean. <laughs> and then Cynthia, her doll, it was like this placeholder where you could like feel sorry for Angelica because you know she kind of had issues. Her parents were mom was always working. She was mm-hmm. mean to the dad. You saw this family story arc. You see all this stuff, and as a kid, you don't know. And it sounds so goofy talking about Nicktoons versus Terminator, but it's still there. Right. You don't realize, but when you are five years old, you care about a character. Absolutely. You, and you want to know what they're doing next. You, you care about how they feel or when someone's mean to them. Totally. And it, and that for me was the first connection when my eyes hit a screen because I started caring for characters and the story. And then obviously the character development arcs, the story, just like you talked about, it's all built in together. And even the shots now in like a real film and not a Nicktoons, even when those guys are animating that stuff, Craig Barlett, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. Hey Arnold uh, guy. He actually just hit me up on Instagram. That oh. was sick as hell. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. That's way cool. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy yeah. It was really cool. <laughs> Long story short, we watched Harold's Halloween the other night. Uh, that's a Halloween special. My wife okay. and I did. And uh, I commented on that because he posted a Hey Arnold photo like of them in the pandemic and they're all hiding in trash. Uh, that's rad. And I put watched that last night and he's like 100%. I was like, dude, that's cool. Social media is terrible. But when stuff like that that's happens, cool. it's so cool. I digress. But I, I just thought that was really cool. That it is was, cool. For Nicktoons, I got that personal connection at a very young age, whether I realized it or not. And then, you know, you move forward into to real films and we'll, we'll move on to that in just a bit. But what, I think that's cool, though. I like the impression that you get when you're a kid and you're not analyzing yet right all you know is that you care and then care. as you get older those things you look back on the things that first kind of prompted you right uh, to have these emotions about film and movie and tv and whatever when you and then you start and then you start analyzing it right. well then you realize why you care right, right. You're analyzing right. it yeah. right so you kind of like reverse engineer i care about cared about these cartoon characters why did i care about them right and what does that teach you i think, I think Tom, it's cool i think tommy pickles was relatable arnold lived with his grandparents right there's just little things there, there's just little family nuances that really 
developed the character and I right. think that's why those cartoons lived on as long as they did and they, they still hold up. I totally get that. Dude, you know what's a pain sometimes? Hmm, you tell. Hauling huge lights onto set. Oh yeah, that's like the worst. Yeah, I've tried more compact lights, but they just don't cut it when it comes to rendering true color. Plus, they're never bright enough. Mm -hmm, never. But one day, a buddy of mine from the snowboard industry asked me to check out these new lights called Lytra, oh. which promised to solve exactly that problem. They're compact, yet powerful, and with professional-grade color rendering. Nice. Nice. Now Lytra is pretty much all I ever bring to set. Compact, powerful, bicolor, RGB, Bluetooth controlled, rugged, waterproofed, you name it, Lytra's it. That's a whole bunch of stuff. That sounds great. So you should visit our Lytra link in the description below and receive 15% off your next order from Lytra.com. I promise you these lights will completely change your approach to photo and video lighting. All right, man, I'm going to hold you to it. Okay, so the next one that had a really big influence on me in terms of writing, this is another writing one, so my last two will be visual ones, for writing was The Sixth Sense. And yeah. obviously, I mean, it's known for having one of the best twists in a film of all time. It's just kind of like known for that. It's actually an amazing movie. Right. It really is. It it's really also is. also terrifying. It, it is. When you're a kid, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you're a kid, or honestly, even as an adult, because uh, I, I watched it when I was, uh, I was probably 19 or 20 when I saw it, I think. Yeah. Because I didn't see it when it first came out. Um, and it's, yeah, it freaked me out. It's such a well-made movie and the way it's filmed. I mean, there's a, we could do an entire hour just talking about the different things in the movie, but specifically when we were starting to work on Pendleton Road, we all kind of got together and we brainstormed what the story might be. I wanted to put a really good twist in there. And so, of course, I'm like, well, let me go to the movie that has the best twist of all time and kind of deconstruct it and see what they did. Right. So this is about red herrings. And what a red herring is, if you don't know, is something during a story that makes you look the opposite direction from where you're taking your audience. Right. Right. So in the sixth sense, you are paying attention mostly to Haley Joel Osment's character uh, because he's the one that has crazy stuff going on. He can see dead people and Bruce Willis is there to help him. So you're paying attention to the kid character mostly because he's the thing, he's the one that something interesting has happened to and you're not studying what's going on with Bruce Willis, which is where the big twist is because he's, dead right you know and so i took that spoiler idea alert. i spoiler alert if nobody's seen this 30 year old movie or whatever <laughs> it is um so i did the same thing with pendleton road and if you haven't seen it you know maybe pause and go watch it because i'm going to tell we'll what the link twist it in is. the description yeah we'll link it in the description but we'll actually link it in the description yeah we'll actually do it this time <laughs> so on pendleton road i wanted to have the same sort of twist and and it just so happened that it was actually also a kid and an adult were our, were our characters the twist is that her dad is not actually her dad, some stranger that broke into their house. So what I did to throw people off that track is at the beginning, she's reaching into that storm drain for her book and like a spider or something it's bites her bear. hand. She pulls it back. Right. Yeah. And, and people, it's set up to be a horror movie. Like you can tell with the music and stuff, this is going to be a, a horror movie or a thriller or thriller, but, yeah. but, it, but in that vein. And so sure. that made everybody pay attention to like, Oh, what's going on with her hand? Is she going to turn into like a monster yeah. and like attack her dad? Who's being a big jerk to her. So, and they talk a lot about, uh, the bite on her hand in the movie. And it even like motivates them going into smaller and smaller locations until she's very trapped by him. Right. And, and the whole time you're going, what's going on with her hand? Is her hand going to fall off? Is it going to fall off? Is she going to turn into a spider lady? And I had a couple people him? at the end of the movie be like, what was the spider bite about? Right. <laughs> like, 
surprise. Yeah, nothing, nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> nothing at all. But it, but it did it did actually serve as like it, I said a motivation to move them into different locations. Yeah, it, it drove the story. It did. Drive it can't the story. be just something completely random. It still needs to kind of drive the story. Right. You can't have just like an alien like you know go by in the background and people are like oh there's aliens in here and then not talk about it ever right. again. It still needs to serve a a purpose in the story. Alien needs to be absolutely doing something. Yeah, alien should be doing something. Yeah. Right. That made a really good way for people to be looking the opposite direction than we wanted them to see. And so a lot of people. I'm actually very proud of the amount of people that have told me that they did not see it coming because yeah. it's really hard to write a twist, any, especially anymore because sure. everything's been done. Well, and it was new for me. That was the first time I'd ever shot a red herring because right. I remember reading the script and being like, hey, what the hell is this, man? Like, why are <laughs> what are you doing, bro? Well, just like, why are we <laughs> filming this? Like, right. what is the we can get her into that room another way. And you're like, right. no, I want to do it this way. I was like, whatever, bro. And then I, we watched it <laughs> and I, and for a short, it's hard. It is. It's, it's a lot easier in a, in a feature. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, the short, you have a lot a, more time to set stuff up. Right. In a yeah. short, everything is very, uh, packed in very tightly because you can, you only have enough time for so many things. And so you need to make sure that everything is serving its purpose. And, so you know that if something's in a short film, it's probably going to be used. I thought it was a cool move. I, I thought that uh, it was different, and I thought it worked fine for the short. Yeah, totally agree. So yeah, what else beyond like character development and writing uh, influenced you? Something I learned when I watched Hook was, remember Hook? Oh, yeah. Robin yeah. Williams. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. It was a fantastic movie. Yeah. Composed very well. It was The sets were amazing. Yeah. And we all knew Peter Pan, and then we got a little bit of like a grittier, cooler Peter Pan, right? right? And they've tried so many times to remake Peter Pans, and they just don't work. So Finding Neverland, whatever. So uh -huh. Robin Williams was the main actor in that. He played Pan. And it wasn't Peter Pan. It was just Pan. Oh, it was just Pan. And it was it's Hook, been a while since Hook and Pan. And they like cut the names and not sure what licensing. Very, had. very modern. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I'm not sure what <laughs> the licensing was going on there. Anyways. So it was the first time I'd seen Robin Williams in another movie. Mm. So you were interesting. In, you were in Miss Doubtfire and you can be in another movie. Uh, hold on. Wait, were what? you not Mrs. Doubtfire? I thought you were Miss Doubtfire. I thought <laughs> oh, you, that's interesting. I thought you were Jack. Huh? I thought you were, you know what I mean? So I thought you were Centennial Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so it was kind of, that was kind of like the illusion being broken for you. It was understanding, oh, okay. There's people that do, that make these things and they do a lot of them. They yeah. don't just do one. And I know I'm breaking these apart, like by character development right. and like Robin Williams specifically, but these are still things that all built up to influence right. me today. Right. Right. So yeah, I, the dream was crushed. It was like, oh, I <laughs> thought you were Miss Doubtfire. I thought you were Bicentennial Man. I thought you were Jack. And it's like. Sad Drew crying over Miss Doubtfire yeah. not being real. I was like, hello. <laughs> um, but I, I was, I was just kind of, I realized that it was, at that point it was a business. Oh. That's okay. what I realized. I realized, okay, a good director can create some emotion uh, for the viewer. Mm -hmm. It's also a job. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, Ro Robin Williams packed his suitcase and the next year he shot something else. At a young age, when I'm seven and I'm, I'm starting to realize this, I'm like, oh, so, you know, when you're seven, you don't think about money. Yeah. Kind of having the uh, mirage of filmmaking being broken yeah. is part of what got us to where we are now. That's, that that that's has to happen at some it. point in order for us right. to be able to make stuff. And that's why I mention it. And then I want to move on a handful of years to Titanic. Oh, I love Titanic. I, I really, I really my do. favorite movies ever. I love James Cameron. James uh, Cameron's. You already talked about a James Cameron yeah, film. So like, too. Yeah. he's he's incredible. And I think what Titanic did for me, besides I got to see my first pair, was um, <laughs> <laughs> my man, my man. No, honestly, actually, my grandpa had to cover my eyes in the theater. Um, my mom made him. So my grandpa <laughs> took me to to see Titanic, and it was the first time I'd ever felt like a movie was bigger than me. Oh, right. First off, I it knew, is a huge. I mean, it's a huge it's movie. Massive. Yeah. Not only in length is it physically long, right? But it's just it has an air of being large it's and in a, charge. It's huge. Yeah. And so Titanic was ninety seven, and it was when CGI was just like getting good, or if 
there were good people that could do it, right? Right, right. It, it was it was starting to hit kind of its its big period of of wide adoption. Make and it able to do it. it. Yeah, looking really good. Yeah. Because before that, there was plenty of CGI, but pretty much only Jurassic Park had done it well. Right. You know, <laughs> all well, the other stuff was still kind of shoddy. Exactly, and it was crazy just seeing how big the ship was. And then mm-hmm. I was so, and I knew it was real, so it was it was scary nonetheless. Cold mm-hmm. water at night just freaks me out. Anyways, the ocean. Right. Well, water. being out in the middle of the ocean it's, where it's dark, there's a. That's it's pretty scary. scary it's stuff. pretty scary. So stuff, yeah. it, it evoked a lot of emotion. It was much bigger than my brain could comprehend. It felt very real. And then I remembered when it came on to VHS. Oh yeah, yes. the, the double double VHS double set. VHS yeah. set. You had to put two in, mm-hmm. and um, not at all, the same time, one after the other. <laughs> correct. It wouldn't work that way. And they had some. They had some bonus footage. Oh yeah. So the bonus footage, like you can go on YouTube right now and watch all of it. It is mind blowing from the sets sinking into pools and then they have to redo the take. So they just raise the set out of the pool crazy to the tilting of the ship to the models where the they, models were they insane. shoot like a, they, you know, there's a shot in the movie where the, the doors all break from water and mm-hmm. it's like shooting down the hallway. That's a miniature. Like there's just my brain at a young age could not comprehend what the hell was going on? That's it's that's so awesome because I'm this James Cameron, such a big influence. Yeah. And watching behind the scenes for all of me for the abyss was kind of the one that right. I remember breaking my brain in that same exact way. Yeah. But it's funny because he took the technology he figured out on the abyss of course, and helped and that he on implemented tit- it into Titanic, in Titanic, Titanic and it worked yeah. very well. Oh, yeah, amazing. So kind of go, to go back now, I've got in my little head, I've got character development and I got a personal connection. I'm realizing it's a business, gotcha. and now I'm like, oh. We can go, we can do as much as we want. Oh, okay. I've, you, seen, I've seen your narrative now. If you have money, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I've gotten to 97, where are you at in your era of film? You know what? That's actually really funny. I believe that my next one was also in 97. Okay. Uh, Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. I love Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, I only have, it's hard for me to rank favorite movies because it kind of depends on what time I'm talking about it. Sometimes I might be more into something Scorsese or more into a Tarantino thing. The only two movies that have ever ranked as favorites is number one, Pulp Fiction, number two, Boogie Nights. Well, and you got Tarantino, dude. It's Tarantino. It's funny too, because Tarantino is actually not on my list for influential stuff because I realized early, partially because he is, we talked about him being such a remix director. Nobody can be Quentin Tarantino. And I think I learned that fairly early on when I tried to be Quentin Tarantino and realized that I couldn't. And a lot of other directors tried to be Quentin Tarantino and they couldn't do it either. Right. Quentin Tarantino is his own thing. And so I think the, in, any influence that he had is learning what my influences were, if that sure. makes sense, and learning how to use reuse them. So you kind of had to look at him saying, he's doing stuff different. Right. How can I do he, stuff different? He's looking to spaghetti westerns for, for his music influence. and stuff yeah. like that for influence. And I'm looking to, I mean, I'm looking to his movies lots of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. So Boogie Nights, there, I mean, there's a million things I could talk about with Boogie Nights, character development. I mean, the amount of characters it has, it's such a large cast where so many people are given, uh, you know, given equal time to tell their stories. Everybody has a great arc. But there's one moment in the movie that really specifically like hit me hard. And I showed, I showed this to you the other day uh, to refresh you on it. So what you could call like at the climax of the movie, uh, Mark Wahlberg, who is uh, playing Dirk Diggler, and then Reed Rothschild and Todd Parker go to see this guy, Rayhad Jackson, to sell him some cocaine. But it's not actually cocaine, it's uh, baking powder. And so they're trying to cheat this guy out of his money, but it's also a dangerous situation. Dirk Diggler starts the movie at this place of being big and popular. He's a porn star. Like he's just good at being a porn star. He's on top of the world buying Italian leather shoes and stuff like that. This is his low point. And this is when you realize how far down he's fallen. So they're waiting for um, Ray had Jackson's bodyguard to, uh, to check through the cocaine and make sure it's all good to go. And the camera 
sits on Mark Wahlberg, on Dirk Diggler, when they're just kind of waiting. There's music playing in the background. I, I think it was Jesse's Girl so, that was playing. So awkward. And he's just, he... His, his eyes lose focus mm-hmm. and he starts staring into nothing. It's, it's you know, the, the million mile stare or whatever, the thousand yard stare where you can see that he is just, he's hitting rock bottom right there. And I think it goes on for, I want to say a minute and a half it's or a something. It's a long, long take. And you can just see him just sinking and sinking and sinking. Um, but then at the end of it, he's like, okay, we're going, we're done here. And so that's him. You're seeing him hit the bottom and actually bounce back up. And so he's still very low, but he's on his way back up there. And after that, after the whole showdown, because it's a big gunfight that happens there, that's when he goes back and makes amends with um, Burt Reynolds. Right. Uh, we have Burt Reynolds' character. John C. Riley was in that, too. John C. Riley. Yeah, he was uh, He was in that same yeah. scene. He was Reed Rothschild. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and he's so amazing in it. Like, yeah. I love everybody in this he's movie. Great. And then Thomas Jane is the, is the third guy that they're with. Boogie uh, Nights, check it out. It's so good. But so what I specifically stole that for was for Paper Cutter. Because yeah, there's a moment in Paper Cutter where, um, I'm trying to remember the actual character's name, uh, Darcy. Oh, Darcy. Where Darcy <laughs> is. Totally I can't remember my own, own character's, character's name. <laughs> <laughs> you hey, you know, it happens, You've man. been busy this week. That's, that's why there's scripts. So I don't have to remember this right, stuff. Exactly. You write <laughs> uh, it and I forget it. That's right. Uh, so we're focusing on Darcy and we're kind of seeing him hit his low point. He's freaking out because he hates being at this meeting. And I wanted to do the same thing, just hang on him where he's just, you can tell he's just exploding inside his head. Now, it turned out that it actually, I didn't like the entire take that we had. And so I actually ended up splitting it into two separate shots. Right. But that was the intention. Just uh, just sitting there and being forced about to be intro. in this uncomfortable yeah. spot in this character's life and just be, being forced to sit in it uh, is and, and be really uncomfortable with it is, I think, a very effective way to get you into a character's head. And so, yeah, just I just remember sitting there, just looking at Mark Wahlberg, and that's when my emotions came out for him. Just like, man, this guy just really boned up his life. And then just sit there and yeah, it just, it works so, so well for me. And so watch at some point, I will definitely do that in another movie where I get to use like a full long take of it. Well, there's something about a long take that really allows you to have time to sit there and not only look at the character, but right. well, it, put, it, put you, you, it puts you in the it moment. It puts you in the shoes. So for me, again, got the character development, we got a personal connection, it's a business, it's a large budget, you can do anything, right? You can do anything, man. But that was Titanic, that was real. So, oh, wow, Star Wars? What's Star Wars? Oh. So I wasn't introduced to Star Wars, I was born in 89, and obviously the first three Star Wars, not the first three, depending on how you look at it. The original uh, three? The original three were much, you know, they were way before my time. So I was actually not introduced to Star Wars until episode one came out. I mean, as a, uh, I think a lot of people your age, like yeah. the prequels were your Star Wars. And people hate episode one, but I still love it because it was my first time I'd ever seen Star Wars in theaters. I think in recent years, the prequels have gotten a bit more of a following. I know on Reddit, the uh, prequel memes just fueled this huge like, right. thing of adoration for the for the prequels. Well, there's good. It's working. It's working. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I still love Star Wars. So when I first saw Episode one, mind you, I did see the first three before I saw it. Okay. Episode one. Okay. Um, it was just that's what. That's when you're introduced to it. I was like, "What's this?" You know. Gotcha. So Star Wars for me, it was a realization that movies don't have to be normal. Oh. I mean, I had seen cartoons and I had seen goofy kid shows at this time, and but you can make an actual serious movie that adults like, and you can have spaceships in them, which is amazing. 
Wow. Of course, of course, that's but why Titan- you want to do but it. But Titanic yeah. was real, so right. you can do that on a large budget. Wait, what's Star Wars? You know what I mean? So yeah, I thought I, know you, exactly what I you thought mean. an author could only do that in a fiction book, in a fictional book, right, right, to a fictional character. And so now, as an adult, I know George Lucas is making fictional characters in a fictional world, and right. adults are loving it, right. So now, wait, you can make you can make money and make oh. characters that are fake. You can make and people fun stuff, love it, fantasy, and still make money. Wow. Okay, money now I need it. to figure yeah. out how to do this. So then I started looking at films from a whole different perspective. Right. Cut out the character development. Don't really give a shit. <laughs> I mean, it's there. Sure, sure. It's but there. You're but thinking I'm, about a different, different part of it now. Now I'm watching every take. Right. I'm watching every camera movement. I'm pausing it. And I'm thinking about what lights are set where outside of frame. Uh-huh. I always tell my wife, uh, and I, I think I mentioned this in the podcast before, but what we see on the TV, what she sees, I see about 12 feet past frame. Right, right. I know where the light's coming from. I can normally tell the source. I right. can tell you what the color temperature is. It's pretty much ruined movies for me. Uh-huh. What, what, <laughs> it really <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. All this stuff is just even, ruined movies well, for even us. Even the process, like we look yeah. at it differently, and then it, that's why a reaction is so important to us, right? Totally. Because it's uh, the eyes of something that we could not see at all. Right. That, that, that's pulling somebody else into our vision and right. being enveloped in it like we were with movies when we were younger. And that's why I bring up all of this stuff when I was younger. Because mm. at that age, when I was first realizing all of this stuff, that's your mind doesn't think like a director or a DP or right, producer at that right. age. Those sets were mind blowing. I remember the set of full house when you'd watch a sitcom be like, is that, I'd always be like, that's gotta oh, be yeah, a real yeah. house. That's a real house. Right. And now you watch a rerun and you're like, that is trash lighting. Yeah. Oh, that, absolutely. Yeah. That's, so flat it's sitcom flat lighting yep. and they do that on purpose. So later down the line, let's go like, let's push into the 2000s. Yep. I'm, I'm much older now. I'm starting to watch movies like the grand Budapest hotel, oh, moonrise kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Even, even fantastic. Mr. Fox. I awesome. love fantastic. Mr. Fox. That's great. actually might, might actually be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Well, and the life aquatic of Steve is, uh, with Steve Zissou. Steve Zissou. Yeah. Remember that? Like so cool. So, there's something when you watch a Wes Anderson film, specifically what sticks out to me is the Grand Budapest Hotel. There's so many lines in that hotel. Right. Watch how he shoots. Watch his lens selection. Watch his composition. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think can tell the story, especially if you have bad acting, which there's no bad acting in any of Wes no. Anderson's movies or of our shorts. But if you had a mediocre actor, those shots can really juice it up. Oh, yeah. Shot composition could say so much about your character. And you'll notice a lot of that in Grounded. I did a mm-hmm. lot of that. Like the, the Airbnb had some crazy shapes and I took advantage of those. Yeah. So that was like an, from a now I'm speaking as a DP. Right. Right. Now you're understanding why you're choosing the shots that you're choosing. You're understanding the, the reasoning behind it. Yeah. And I started to look at lighting and not necessarily lighting from Wes Anderson, but lighting. For, oh, that's color palette for Wes Anderson, right? It's, oh yeah. It's color the color, palettes, his, yeah. color palettes evoke emotion mm-hmm. and really help drive the story. And his symmetry also does that. The composition, the symmetry obviously does that. But for me with lighting, it was, I would look at a light and I'd say, what is that doing? Why is he split light? Why is he hard lit? Why is he soft lit? What is the director and DP trying to tell you that that character can't say? What's the purpose? What's the purpose behind this choice? Right. Yeah. Then you mix that in with good composition. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, man. Yeah, his his movies are incredible. And he's one of those ones that I think every time a new movie of his is coming out, I'm like, okay, uh, I'm kind of I'm sure. over his shtick. I got it. And then as soon as I watch it, like, that like, was fun. This is amazing. Yeah, he he's always been super influential and uh, someone I've looked up to as a DP um, just because of the composition and it's really mm-hmm. helped kind of develop my style. And so now you go from, again, I'm retracting here, but as a kid, learning about the characters. Right. Growing up and learning, it's a business. Right. Growing up and learning, it doesn't all have to be real. Right. Growing, le- growing up, learning that 
you can do anything you want if you have money on a movie set. You can go big. You can, you go, can huge, go huge. You can go fantasy. As big as you want. And you it can, can create things out of thin air. And then you figure out how to shoot it. Amazing. And now here we are. I love it. That's great. You know what I mean? What, 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 a, what a cool little narrative for you. I, I totally dig that. I yeah. know that's what you're getting at, but no. I, I really like that. Yeah, you saw like Nicktoons and yeah. Hook and Titanic. I was all like, check please. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting close to time here. I want to hear about your last one. And I feel like this really shaped our latest short. It really cutter. did. It absolutely did. So when we were ramping up on Paper Cutter, there is a movie that really influenced me a lot. Uh, in, in the writing of it and what I thought the visual style might be. And so I got the whole team together and I showed him The Wrestler by Darren Aronofsky, which uh, Darren Aronofsky makes great movies. His movies tend to be kind of hard to watch, like from an emotional perspective, like Requiem for a Dream is a difficult pretty movie. Pretty deep. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hard and it's, it's brutal, it's rough, it's dark. The Wrestler is his most kind of grounded movie. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take that uh, that sort of feeling from it. The the It's all handheld and the main thing that I really wanted to kind of steal from it was handheld following behind like third person shots. So there's a lot of shots following Mickey Rourke, who's, you know, this beat down, broken wrestler. And there's a lot of shots where they're just falling behind him with the camera. It's almost like uh, like you like a documentary, like they're just following somebody around. And, but what I think it does, it's, but it's very cinematic at the same time. And what I think it does is it really, since it sticks with them for long periods of time, walking through hallways, you know, uh, approaching, he's working at a deli counter. And so it's following him walking through the back of the, the grocery store, putting on his, you know, plastic hat and gloves and then going out and working behind this deli counter. And what it really does, it just, it puts you, it really helps you empathize with that character it really puts you in their place in their head because you're not just there for the big moments you're also there for the small moments for him like hyping himself up because again he's a wrestler so he used to hype himself up to go out and wrestle in a match and now he's hyping himself up to go help old ladies get their roast beef you know <laughs> and and so it, the hype is real <laughs> the hype is real we've got the meats <laughs> and so it i think it, it does the technique just does a really good job of putting you in their headspace and getting you to sympathize and empathize and right. just be there with them. So I wanted to do that in paper cutter at the beginning. And again, this is kind of like the last one with Boogie Nights where I wanted this to be one big unbroken shot, but just for time and everything, it just made sense to break it into a few shots. You're talking about the opener, right? You're talking about the opening. Yeah. yeah. So it starts Remember behind. when we practiced that? Oh yeah. We practiced it a bunch of times. I, I love the way it came out. The behind the scenes is insane of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do we have, we have that cut somewhere don't there, we, yeah. that we could show people? Yeah. I, I'll try to link it. Give <laughs> <laughs> me a lot of links in this one. <laughs> it's like, mm, mm, check please. Check please. The way we started out, it's behind, the camera's sitting behind uh, Darcy while he's sitting in his truck and he gets out of the truck and walks into the the building uh, where the the group is taking place and you don't know this yet as an audience member he walks down a hallway and then goes in a door and so it's it's a decent little walk and i wanted to be with him for that entire walk up for a couple of reasons one was for attention yeah. um, because the beginning shot like you don't know what kind of movie it's going to be yet mm-hmm. it's so shot kind of dark he seems kind of menacing you don't know what's going to happen when he gets in there and so the whole time you're just kind of there with him right while he's going in you're going what's going on here who is this guy where is he going so there's all these questions swirling around that you want answers to right. and so to drag it out just a little bit more makes you want those answers more for sure but at the same time it gets you used to you you know immediately who your main character is. You know who you're following in the movie because you're literally following him at that point. We, and you remember when we were shot listing, you used the wrestler, obviously, as influence. Mm-hmm. That was all handheld. It's really right. rough. Right, right. Like, and, and that like it's really rough. Like, they really like go very handheld. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like he threw a body just on his shoulder and walked. Right, Like, totally. it wasn't, like, rigged out. Right, right. So, 
Um, do you remember when we were making the shot list and you're like, I want it handheld, right? But I want it smooth. Yeah. Like, so, so what I did was I put the Ronin on oh, yeah. an mm-hmm. Armor Man, but I walked and like, and I I bounced it on purpose. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I so it would have been like a ghost was following him, like super gliding and smooth. Right. But on purpose, I actually was pulling it a little the, bit. I was bouncing it and and kind of keeping him in frame, and that kept a little bit of roughness and a little it's bit a, of edge. It's a controlled handheld. But it's a controlled handheld. Yeah. Exactly. Which is really important, especially when we wouldn't have been able to do any reshoots if we screwed up handheld. Yeah. You just you're just screwed. Well, and then we did controlled handheld the rest of the. Film. We did. Yeah, we did controlled handheld. So on a tripod, maybe moving it a little bit, and then added some uh, some uh, camera shake in post. Right. Uh, I tend to just shake a lot. So I I always get like super, uh, Uh even on the set, like two weeks ago, I was like, was that okay? I was like, is the handheld okay? I'm like, it's super shaky right now. I'm very hungry. I'm like, yeah, it's great. It's super dehydrated. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I love how it turned out. Uh, I got, we were able to evoke the exact thing that I wanted to. And so that's also kind of version one of my take on, on that shot. And absolutely look for me to do something like that again in the future because I definitely will. Probably not on jump seat. Can I physically like do it though? Yeah. That's the DP? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you absolutely. can just plan it. I'll do it. I'll plan it. You do it. Okay. That's yeah. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to shoot it. Yeah. I don't, like, hell that's, no. <laughs> I'm, a dir- I'm a director. Don't, yeah. don't touch me with the camera. Keep that camera away from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now do what I say. Hot coffee, please. <laughs> no, you're definitely not like that. Um, You know, we talked about our uh, influences and we want to hear yours. Exactly. I I want to, we say, want to hear the things that are important to you, the things that you want to do, the things you want to copy, the things that have just mattered over, over your even life. Even if you just send us a list of movies that influenced you and whether you're a filmmaker or not, we'd love to check them out. Yeah. And also if something else influenced you, like a commercial, there's lots of awesome commercials, commercials are out great. there. We didn't, yeah. music videos. We didn't, music videos. we could have talked about this for six hours. Music videos. Mm-hmm. Like there's oh. so many different things out there. Anything that influenced you in, in this regard doesn't have to be a film. Our, our, our things specifically for this were filmed. It can be anything. Really quick, the OK Go music video with the treadmills. Oh my gosh. Well, and then all the ones they did after that too. Oh, yeah, I was going to say the they, big Rube Goldberg machines. Oh, they got better with the cars and they were playing the music. Unreal. We could go, maybe that'll be a topic in the future. It could be. I, I think, yeah, I think I'm a musician. One. You're a musician. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's keep that on cool. the top. I love their music videos. It's yeah, so cool. Really cool. All right, yeah. well, we'll stop there. Seriously, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you've made it this far, I think you might like it. If you could leave us a review, uh, maybe five stars on iTunes, that That'd would be, be nice. rad. Yeah. Spotify actually allows you to follow the podcast as well. Yes. Give us a follow. That's fun. Yeah, that'd be but way cool. More importantly, show a friend. Oh, that, yeah. That's uh, the word of mouth is still still alive, yeah. especially with social media. So. Yeah. yeah, we're still, this podcast is still young. We want to have as many listeners as we can just because this is fun for us. And so, yeah, tell a friend, tell your mom, tell your dad. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your friend. Your grandma might not like it, but, you know, tell her anyway. Judging from the demographics (laughs) and the analytics, probably grandma won't like it. Yeah, probably not, yeah. But uh, (laughs) thank you guys so much, and we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Take her easy, everybody. All right, stay safe.